Top story today. Tragedy struck at the Crandall Diner, the scene of a grisly mass murder. First responders are reeling as body parts continue to be found. The sole survivor, the diner's waitress, is still in shock. We'll keep you updated as this story unfolds. Cindy felt her blood turn to ice at the sight. That's when she heard something go bump in the night. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. Okay, so let's start this week's show off with an unpopular opinion. The Scream 6 trailer has been released. Well, it's a teaser trailer, about a minute long, whatever. I personally think it looks kind of good. I know there's been a lot of jokes online about, you know, the... The fact that the the movie's taking place in New York, and of course, you know, what with having Jason takes Manhattan, where he didn't really take Manhattan, and it was filmed in Vancouver on a boat, most of the movie and stuff like that. Anyways, there's been a lot of joking online about, well, will this be like that? Uh, probably not. Uh, the movie is going to take place in New York City, and I'm not going to lie, seeing this teaser trailer amped up some of the tension early on. I, I, I kind of like what I see. The thing is, is that I'm also happy about this Scream movie because no Nev Campbell. And I learned very fast, do not write that online. (laughs) A few people were complaining about, you know, I don't know if I want to see this movie because there's no Nev Campbell. And I was the guy that sort of countered it and said, I think the movie's better for it. I think it's time to move on past the Sidney Prescott storyline and I know I'm really in the minority when I say this but for me Nev Campbell has always been that great supporting actress I don't see her as a lead and you know some people are like oh she's the face of scream no that's the ghost face killer (laughs) my opinion um anyways yeah I'm looking forward to the new scream six I I know I'm keeping my expectations a little low here but I mean I like the idea that we're going to move past the Sydney Prescott story. I mean, Gail Weathers coming back makes sense. She's a media face, you know, a reporter and stuff like that. If she shows up in New York City to report something or, you know, to promote a book she's written, that makes sense. I don't understand why we need to have Sydney in this yet again. So 
Not to mention, it's not even taking place in Woodsboro. It's taking place in New York City. So you're trying to tell me that now she'd be in New York City and Ghost Space Killer would have something to do with that? Like, no, I'm I'm not for it. I think Scream 6 has the potential to be a really great movie because Nev Campbell won't be a part of it. That's my opinion. It's time to move on to other opinions that probably you still won't like, but oh well. Merry Christmas from the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero. Here's wishing you a Merry Axmas and a bloody great new number for the year. Because I'm not into New Year's. I don't get the New Year's thing. But anyways, I'd like to welcome you back, everyone, to What What Lurks Behind Behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your host... Postmortem Paul. And this week, we're returning to the world of Killer Santa Clauses. Yeah, last year that was the big theme. It was all about Killer Santa Clauses. And this time, we're going with that theme again, but it's more following along this theme of direct-to-video, direct-to-streaming kind of thing, because, um, yeah, this week, uh, episode, it's episode what, 137? God, I haven't even dipped into the eggnog yet, and already my memory's kind of like, woohoo. Uh, <laughs> oh, by the way, I should explain. This episode was actually supposed to happen last week. Uh, let's just say my home got hit with an illness bug, <laughs> and uh, myself, I ended up with a really bad ear infection. And I know you're going to think this sounds kind of stupid, but when I get ear infections, my ears plug up. And the best way I can explain it is when I talk, it sounds like I hear myself in my head and it's the most annoying thing in the world. So I opted to not record last weekend because the sound of my own voice, I already hate it as it is. And hearing it in my head while I would have been recording would have driven me nuts. So that's why this episode is happening a week later. It'll also be the final episode of the year. Sorry, guys, but, you know, holidays are coming up, and I want to take a break just like everybody else. But, yes, okay, so episode 137 from director Joe Bagos, who was the director of Bliss and BFW. We are focusing on... That came out kind of stuttery, didn't it? <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. We are focusing on... Christmas, Bloody Christmas, a film that was direct-to-streaming, had a small theatrical release, but for the most part, for the most part, I swear I'm not drunk. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of drinking in this movie, though. Um, This was a direct-to-streaming, it went straight to Shudder. So, that was kind of what I was talking about on last episode when I said this theme this year seemed like it was direct-to-video kind of thing. Well, this one's direct-to-streaming. Anyways, if I can stay sober, I am sober, but if I can stay sober enough when talking, I have two small topics I want to quickly hit up uh, before we get into the featured review of the week and the final one of the year. Uh, First topic will be about a green guy who hates Christmas. And then the other is uh, I decided to put together a top 10 list for the top 10 movies that stood out for me in the last 365 day span that we called 2022. 
So first, 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 let's talk about... We can't call him the Grinch. But let's talk about the mean one from 2022. And the (laughs) the thing is with this movie, okay. You have to remember it's a parody. It is meant to be what it is. If you walk into this fucking movie expecting, you know, it's a wonderful life, a Christmas carol, home alone, I don't know, you're doing it wrong, okay? Because this movie is a blast. Um, Bad acting? Yes. It's supposed to have bad acting. That's the point of this movie. That's it. Okay, I should say. There's three actors that kind of stand out. David Howard Thornton, of course. You know, Mr. Art the Clown. Well, he's the mean one. No, he's not Boris Karloff. He's not doing that. Hell of a lot more entertaining than Jim Carrey. And his character in this movie doesn't speak. He growls. That's it. Um... The film is not allowed to refer to him as the Grinch, but the screenwriters found creative ways around that. Uh, A lot of copyright things went on with this movie. There is some really clever shit in this movie, though, for a movie that's not allowed to refer to the Grinch. They they do have some nice, you know, Easter eggs and nods and stuff like that. Um... Crystal Martin, who is more, she's more a stunt performer than she is an actress. But anyway, she plays Cindy, you know who. Um, she, <laughs> she does a good job with what she's given as well. She's quite solid. And then there's John Bigham. He plays, <clears throat> you're going to love this. He plays Doc Zeus, as in the god Zeus. <laughs> um, yeah, I loved it. I, when, when they made that reference in the movie, I literally chuckled out loud. Like, <laughs> I thought that was clever. Um, his character's pretty solid, too. He's got sort of like a Santa Claus look to him. It's kinda, it kind of works, whatever. Everyone else in the movie is just kind of there. But that's okay, because honestly, we come for a murderous Grinch, and that's what we get. And like I said, like there's, there's hilarious nods to Dr. Seuss um, and Dr. Seuss classics and not just the Grinch. Like, I mean, like, or, or how the Grinch stole Christmas is the actual title of the original whole fucking thing. But anyways, um, there, there's references to like Horton Hears a Who. There's even a nice little Dr. Seuss reference to his actual you know, last name, his real name, and whatnot, family name. Um, There's a whole bunch of that going on in the movie. There's a lot of little, uh, there's like one line where um, Cindy, you know who, says it's time to go roast this beast. And it's like, yeah, okay, we get it. That was funny. Um, There's a lot of that going on in this movie. Like I said, the screenwriters had fun with it. Uh, Great score by Yale Benamore. Um, Unfortunately... It's not been released yet, so because I really would like to get my hands on the score. It, it was it was really good for this movie. Um, again, sort of noticed this almost cyberpunk feel to it, but I don't think that's what they're trying to do. Like I think it's just I think it's just my brain is going there, but because I'm recognizing 
the way how it had like the similarities between the scores but i mean i don't think that's actually what their intention is uh for the violence in this movie lacking a little because quite a bit of it is off screen i mean again low budget so you you can only get so much but (laughs) the one thing that i actually found very entertaining with this movie was that the blood on the screen is animated more than likely computer like graphic like like cgi but it actually looks like it's almost like cartoonish and the fact that it was animated almost like it it was funny like it would like splash on the screen and i'm like hmm it's almost as if you know you're you're making fun of an animated movie like it kind of worked i was like all right i i don't have a problem with this and then a lot of the times you see like the end result you see like you know the the knife in the head the meat cleaver in the face and stuff like that the end results of the carnage are are shown quite well they're well displayed so i mean it's not all wasted the interesting thing about this movie was reading like critic reviews and mainstream audience reviews you know those people that you know they they went and saw you know i fuck i don't know they argue over Die Hard being a Christmas movie and, you know, they, they your Muppet Christmas Carol fans and stuff like that. Like, And I'm not putting those people down. What I'm saying is they go into this expecting some of that. Well, you're not going to get that. That's not what this kind of movie is. So they'll idiotically bash this film. I saw a lot of weird comments online where it's like, you saw the trailer, right? Like, you know what you're getting, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know why you're complaining. This movie knows what it is. It It's trying to do this. So if you walk into it expecting, like, knowing what to expect from it, you will enjoy the hell out of it. I mean, honestly, I had a, a really good time with it. Um, so much as it made my top 10 list. I will say that. Um I'm probably not going to give you what my numerical rating was on this because I think it's going to be a movie that a year from now I will actually give a full review to. Uh, by that point, we'll have a Blu-ray release and you know some extras to play with and stuff like that. So I think I'll know more about the movie then. There's some trivia out there right now, but not a whole lot. So it's really not... A, it would basically be just a straight-on review and whatnot. But anyways, what I, would, what I do want to say is, to the director, Stephen Lamore, well done. David Howard Thornton is easily making himself a gorgeous name in B-movies and just in acting in general. It's a fahoo foray from me. And now, I will try to do this as quickly as possible. I don't want to waste too much time, but something I thought of doing... I'm, being this would be the final episode of the year, I realized hmm, maybe I should be talking about some top tens here or whatever. I was going to do music and I was going to do video games and all that stuff. It would have been too long. So I thought let's just do movies because that's what the main focus of this podcast is. Top 10 movies for 2022 from me to you. These are my opinions, by the way. This does not... It's not written in stone. This is not, you know, the be-all, end-all, the holy grail of top tens or anything. It's what I walked away from 2022 feeling. 
And that doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. It's just my opinions. You may agree. You may disagree. You may sit there and go, how did you not mention this movie? And then you may turn around and say, you mentioned this movie, but at number one, what the fuck is wrong with you? So who knows? Anyways, top 10 movies for 2022 and number 10 were me was the mean one, actually. Um, For a movie that knew what it was and went with it. I appreciated it, and it didn't try to be anything other than the parody that it was trying to be. I mean, it, it was that. It, it had fun. I didn't need it to be anything more than that. And David Howard Thornton as a growling Grinch was awesome. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Number nine is one that I may get some criticism for because I think a lot of people are putting it a lot higher than I did. That movie is Pearl. Uh, the movie itself is a really solid film. I, I I really do like the movie. I'm not complaining about it. But I don't think it's top five worthy. And that's where some people are may take my comments and be like, what's wrong with you? But for me, I will say this. Even though it's top ten and not top five for me, Mia Goth, she makes this movie like what it is like absolutely a glorious performance and I talked about it on this show already earlier in the year her monologue at the end of the movie is award winning worthy like it is just massively amazing the movie itself overall I felt it was a little overhyped, but Mia Goth, give her all the awards. Like, seriously, she is a rising talent. And there's a few others out there as well, along with her. But I can't wait to see what comes out of her in the future, because the woman knows how to act. At number eight, nope. And I'm not saying that I'm not telling you what movie it is. I'm saying nope. Jordan Peele, a classic sci-fi horror done right. I enjoyed it. I I really liked Nope, actually. Um, I mean, I I will say Us is still my favorite of all of Jordan Peele's creations. But Nope was a really good film. Like, it was worth putting in my top ten. I remember talking about it on this show, and just, I, I, I liked... I like the sci-fi feel. It, it, it's got its horror elements, obviously, but I like that it gave a lot of nods to like the classic sci-fi flicks that I grew up watching on Saturday and Sunday afternoon TV and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, I liked it. Jordan Peele knew what he wanted to do with the movie, and I enjoyed it for that. It had a great score too, a really good score. But um, yeah, like I. It was definitely a movie that turned my head this year. And I remember seeing the trailer and being like, all right, this this might actually be a really good movie. And it did not disappoint. Number seven. Please wait for further comments because it's Christmas, bloody Christmas. On to number six. Number six is a movie that I talked about on this show. It was one of the episodes this past year. It was a Disney Plus Hulu 
streaming sensation known as Prey. A movie in which Amber Midthunder crushes it. In what is probably the third greatest Predator movie ever made. Yes. It's a Predator movie. Very well done. I probably only put Predator 1 and 2 above it. And it was awesome. (laughs) It was a really good movie. Um, And straight to streaming, which I know some people, you know, they wish they could have seen it in a theater. I'm not a theater kind of guy, but I do agree. It probably should have been in the theaters. Sadly, Predator movies were so looked down upon it when it came out that I probably didn't want to take the chance. If there's a sequel, any kind of sequel, I can expect that that one will probably go theatrical. And now for the top five. Top five films of 2022 for me. Okay, one that I have talked about on the show, but not a whole lot. Deadstream. It's a found footage film done right. It had a wicked sense of satire to it. Like, very tongue-in-cheek. Very, It knew who it was making fun of, and it did it very well. And then it had some genuinely great moments. I mean, I remember when... I remember when I watched it for the first time and seeing... You know, people were saying it was like found footage... Evil Dead. And I kind of have to agree with that. Like, I mean... Yeah, there's some sweet special effects to it. But I think the thing, the reason why Deadstream hit me so much is that I'm not a found footage kind of guy. Very hit or miss with that genre. Like, I like some of them. Uh, Gongium Haunted Asylum is one that I have raved about since the day I saw it. It, Probably my all-time favorite found footage film. But, I mean, there's other ones that have been good. Lake Mungo's been good. Um... Uh, damn it to hell. Houses that built October. And I was sitting here thinking, what the hell was that one? The first one. The second one was okay, but the first one was a lot better. Um, like, some found footage films are okay. I think my whole thing is, is a Blair Witch Project. Great marketing, not good movie, always stuck with me. So whenever I saw found footage was the genre, it was like... I don't know. The host from 2020. Now, that was a good one. That was a really good one. Um, Completely filmed on Zoom. Uh, The only thing about that movie, too short. But other than that, I mean, it it was another great one. But yeah, Deadstream really took me by surprise because I really wasn't sure I was going to like it. And I walked away loving it. So... (laughs) Yeah, I had to mention that. Number four is another one that I've talked about on this show. A little stop-motion animation flick known as Mad God. And yes, I get it. It One of those films where it takes several views to fully take it all in and possibly even figure, you know, what the hell is going on in the movie. But it's gorgeous. It was well worth the 32 years it took to finish it. Great score, which, by the way, Waxwork Records have shipped out copies that were pre-ordered. I got mine. It is gorgeous. Um, it's a Bill Tippett 
miracle. I don't know. It's a festivist miracle. No, um, I really liked Mad God. I I thought it was a superb film as much as it was a what the fuck kind of movie at the same time where I'm like, that first time watching it, like, oh, I think, no. Oh, I think I know what's going on. No. What in the fuck am I watching? What the hell is going on? It was one of those movies, but it kept me engaged the whole time. And then I watched it again. And then I watched it again. I think I've watched it about six times this year. Which is amazing for a movie with no dialogue. It's strictly animation and score. (laughs) And I love the hell out of it. But there's three movies that stood out a little bit more. At number three, another straight-to-streaming flick that probably should have gone to theaters. Hellraiser. Yep, all hail the new hell priestess, Jamie Clayton. Yeah, she was amazing in this film. This is a reboot done with care and passion and done right. I'm still looking for confirmation about a sequel. I don't know that that's... It's gotta be... It's gotta happen. This movie was great. I mean, it was very well done. I loved the look of the Cenobites. I loved the backstory to the Lament configuration, which is actually the configuration because it had six different types of configurations and Lament was one of them. Um, I loved what they did with it. And I'm really hoping... I'm hoping that in 2023 we get that confirmation that, yes, a sequel is coming. There will be more of this because it was done so well. And, yes, it was another one of those movies, much like Prey. You know what I mean? Like previous entries into the franchise were not, you know, highly regarded at all. Some of those Hellraiser movies, people absolutely despise them. So they didn't want to take the chance and go to theaters. Of course, there was the problem. See, with Prey, Prey at least got a global release. Hellraiser got American only. And the rest of the countries are like, I really want to see this movie. You realize I'm going to have to do the thing you don't want me to do. And that's what we did. Um, It's now, I believe, globally released. But by the point, by the time it came out in other countries, like Canada being one of them, I think most people that wanted to see it had already seen it. Um... Which brings me to number two, another movie that sort of had that kick me sign on it because it got a U.S. only release at first. But God damn, if Terrifier 2 wasn't worth all of it. Damien Leone made a two hour and 20 minute slasher film, low budget, crowdfunded at that. And he made it the face of 2022's horror genre in North American cinema. I mean, this year, okay, we had that other reigning slasher king, Michael Myers, coming out. Halloween ends. This is supposed to be the Halloween of all Halloweens. And a little quiet clown kind of stole all that thunder. I mean, this was supposed to be the year of Halloween. Everybody was looking forward to Halloween ends. Well, most people anyways. Not everyone was a big fan of Halloween kills. There were some of us that accepted, okay, this is what Blumhouse is doing. 
they're going a more violent approach. Okay, fine. We're going to get a very violent ending between Laurie and Michael. And that did not happen. And Damien Leone is off to the side saying, you know what? I think I want to release my movie in theaters. Just see what happens. Let's put Terrifier out there. And, you know, maybe, maybe at least the diehards will go. And then, of course, social media happened. Whether or not it's true, who cares? People claiming, you know, oh, this person puked while they saw Terrifier 2. This person passed out. People left the theaters in disgust. Oh, really? So then people's intrigue gets piqued. The next thing you know, there's people going to the theaters that would not have normally have seen Terrifier 2. Some people who went into it not even having seen Terrifier 1, or, well, Terrifier, or All Hallows' Eve, or even knowing who Art the Clown was. I had no fucking clue what was going on, but hey, everyone's talking about this fucking movie. I gotta go see this. And then you got Lauren Libera, who became the better Laurie Strode of the year. And I don't even want to say that because she's playing Sienna and she plays a great character. She is not, she's not doing a Laurie Strode thing. But because of the final girl aspect of it all and people always think of Laurie Strode you know, as being one of the first final girls. Okay, fine, whatever. But Lauren Libera all of a sudden was becoming a household name along with David Howard Thornton and Damian Leone. And rightfully so. I mean, she's amazing in this movie. Probably, in my opinion, the greatest final girl of the year in terms of these movies. Like, and and I mean, okay, I, I make the comparisons to Halloween Ends and it's really not even fair to do that. But I guess the reason why I did is because I sort of look at it like this. There was a time in history, in 1978, a low-budget indie film named Halloween took the world by storm. And here in 2022, when a movie called Halloween Ends is coming out, it's almost as if that torch was passed on to a new low-budget indie film where a silent killer stalks a girl and meets his match. And it was like, it was almost poetic. You know what I mean? And originally when I saw Terrifier 2, the first time I watched it, and I now own the UK Blu-ray, which is region-free, by the way, for anyone who cares. Um, But I've now watched it a couple times. That first time I watched it, I was like, okay, it's top 10. I don't know if it's top 5. I watched it a second time. And I can say that, yeah, you sit there and you go, two hours and 20 minutes. It's a long time for a slasher. It does not feel it. Even watching it the second time, I was like, that didn't feel like it. Like, it's a very captivating story. It's very well done. Yes, it's gory. But there was a movie that was even more gorier than Terrifier 2. And it didn't get as much hype as Terrifier 2 did. And yet it's my number one. So I I do want to move on to my number one. But Terrifier 2, definitely. It's moving up. The more times I watch it, the more I love it. Number one. You've heard me. I've raved about this one. The... 
this is my movie. If you had told me at the end of 2021 that a film from Thailand directed by an unknown Canadian director would blow my mind with great practical effects comes great practical responsibilities. No, um, and a great little satirical stab at all the sides of a world obsessed with their pandemic rights and wrongs. If you would have told me this movie would have blown my mind, well, you would have been right. <laughs> my God, what a movie. Number one, The Sadness. And yes, this movie still deserves its full review on this show, and it will happen in the near future. But I mean, what a movie that really didn't reinvent the wheel. I mean, it's... Um, movie about people being infected we've seen this before but it was the way it was done that was amazing and i mean like terrifier 2 gets all the hype this year for you know audiences passing out vomiting you know all the gore violence and depravity and rightfully i mean that movie deserves to be talked about in that conversation but this movie right here the sadness this is the real king of those departments, and it just didn't get the media hype from it. I mean, it did get hype. There was, there was media presence, uh, you know, about this movie, but it just, I think the North American voice is very loud sometimes, and I think because Terrifier 2 was North American, and the sadness is from Thailand, I think. And, you know, in the foreign film, sometimes people don't like movies with subtitles, so they'll pass on it, which is a shame because this movie, the first time I saw it, sent me into hysterics of joy. It is one that I've introduced my many friends to since with warnings for some people. I mean, keep in mind, when it premiered on Shudder, it had a warning. Think about that for a minute. You know, Shudder... A streaming service that focuses on the macabre and the disgusting and, you know, it has a warning. Warning people you may not be able to handle this movie. That's saying something. The thing is, there's not a person breathing that I wouldn't mention this movie to. The sadness brings anything but sadness. I mean, honestly, it's such a joyride to experience. And for me personally, it was movie of the year. Without a doubt, I, I months later after I've seen it and I'm still talking about it to people and it's like when, you know, and that was the thing, it, Terrifier 2, one thing that I kind of liked about that movie was it opened up the door to talk about this movie and vice versa. Those who knew about the sadness, you could talk about Terrifier 2 and there was like the nice comparison going on between the two and it actually kind of worked. You know what I mean? Um yeah, the the sadness probably it's not probably it's a definite movie of the year for me. I think more where I, where I want to direct my final comments before we dip into Christmas Bloody Christmas is um and I've seen a couple people say this kind of shit and anyone who says 2022 was not a good year for horror they're either trying to be that guy that, you know, has to hate everything to make themselves sound intelligent and insightful. Or they had ill-fated preconceived notions of the movies they watched. Or they watched all the wrong movies. Because 
actually, when you think about it, 2022 gave us a lot of great movies. And there's a lot I didn't even mention. You know, Scream came out. Scream 5 came out. And that was actually a decent movie. I know I make my comments about Nev Campbell, but it was a good movie. Um, X was a great movie. Black Bone was definitely good. Overhyped, but it was a good movie. Um, and these are some of the mainstream titles. I mean, there's a lot of low-budget stuff. Shudder was loaded with low-budget flicks that came out this past year that were great. You know what I mean? So, 2022 was not a bad year for horror. It's horror that's doing some things differently, but then a lot of it is also done the same. So, I don't know. I For me personally, it it was it was a great year. And... It's now time to move on to number seven of the top ten movies because I did mention Christmas Bloody Christmas. And that is this week's featured review, a movie that has apparently offended a good portion of people too. Yay! An offensive horror movie. We love you. But not for the reasons you would expect from a horror film about a Santa Claus killing people in brutal ways. No, they were offended by something else. (gasps) The horror Trailer time out, and when we return, a Shudder Christmas horror release that will become a Christmas tradition, for me anyways, for years to come. Back in a splat, kids. The U.S. Defense Department has spent over a trillion dollars on the most cutting-edge robot technology. Introducing RoboSanta Plus for the upcoming holiday season. What are you going to do this fine Christmas Eve? I was potentially going to go meet up with a dude. I've blown him off twice already, so come on. Get a drink with your old pal, Robbie. <laughs> What's up with you two? I just grabbed a drink. I talk her out of some tender trash. You didn't oh. talk me out of anything. Sir Christmas! Sir Christmas! Ah, humbug. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! New animatronic state-of-the-art Santa Claus, featured at our own TW Bonkers, is now the subject of an international recall. from the boys down at the scene yet. They're still down there counting bodies. All right, welcome back, everyone. We will talk about Christmas Bloody Christmas in one second. I know, I can never come back from a trailer and just jump into the review. But the thing is, is there's something I forgot to say earlier that I want to say now so I can say I put it on record. (laughs) Um, No. Alita Battle Angel. 
You guys know I really like that movie. I really love that movie, actually. Really good flick. Anyways, during the promotion of this new Avatar movie, what is it, The Way of Water or whatever it's called? The Shape of Water, I don't know. We Drown in Water, I don't know. I'm sure it's a good movie, don't get me wrong. It just, Avatar, and I liked the first movie, but I didn't love it. Anyways, John Landau, who's the producer for Avatar, was interviewed. It was either by Hollywood Reporter or Deadline. It was one or the other. Anyways, he put this little video nugget online. It went on Twitter first and then obviously made its rounds. Alita Battle Angel, the sequel, might actually be in the works. It's very early in stages, but apparently he is attempting to get the ball rolling. I hope this happens. I really, really, really hope this happens. I hope this isn't another um, The Crow. I mean, I, as much as I think The Crow remake may actually finally happen, what, we heard that for, what, 10 years, 20 years? Oh, Crow remake is coming, and it just never seemed to happen. I don't want to lead a battle angel being that. I don't want to... Uh, what, what's the other one I was thinking of the other day? Beetlejuice. My God. How many more social media accounts are going to post that Beetlejuice 2 is happening? It's not happening. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that with Alita Battle Angel, it's not too late to make that sequel. So I really hope that John Landau is serious and that it's coming. And that's all I wanted to say on that. It can be my Christmas gift. They can confirm it and make this thing happen. And I'll be very happy with it. Now, on to this week's featured review. Final review for 2022, guys. <sighs> Christmas, bloody Christmas. I love the title alone right there. But anyways, movie technically debuted December 9th, 2022 through Shudder. And it had a very limited theatrical release. And I should note that actually in October of 2022, it did have a few festival viewings. Um, but the wide release, the release to the masses, came on the date of December 9th. The movie is written, produced, and directed by Joe Bagels. Figure and nail a whole bunch of people all at once because it's one guy. He did a lot of work for this movie. Um, he's actually Joe has been talked about on this show before. Uh, it's been a face of discussion. When I reviewed back in 2019 or 2020, I can't remember what year it was I reviewed it, but it was a 2019 film, VFW. Uh, that was the episode. Oh, Jesus, I can't remember what episode number it was, but. I remember that I opened up the show with a review of the video game Cloudpunk and then went into VFW after. And VFW is a movie that starred uh, Stephen Lang, William Sadler, Martin Cove, Fred Williamson, whatever. Um, it's it, I, I forget exactly what I said, but I know I said it was something like the, the low-budget Expendables or something like that, but it was better than the Expendables. Yeah, and VFW is... Great flick. <laughs> um, but yeah. Joe is also known for writing and directing other films like Bliss and The Mind's Eye. Uh, he's credited with seven seven different titles. BFW, though, is the only one that he didn't write or produce. 
He only directed that film. That was it. Writing and producing details were done by other parties. Uh, whereas with the other six titles that are attached to his name, like Bliss and The Mind's Eye and whatnot, um, he did writing, producing, and directing. He's, he's that guy. He's very hands-on. So um, there was one other producer with him on this, and that was Josh Ethier, who... Um, is also the editor for the film, I wanted to say. And he also worked with Joe on films like VFW, The Mind's Eye, Bliss. Um, also served as an editor on titles like Beyond the Gates with uh, Barbara Crampton. Um, we Are Still Here, Tales of Halloween. He did one segment on that. House by the Lake. And recently, Orphan First Kill, which was a movie from 2022 that one I toyed with putting that in my top 10 as well that was another good one from 2022 was Orphan First Kill Um, and he was an editor on that Uh, Josh was also an editor for the hit series Holliston which I've I've discussed on this show I don't know if I've discussed in full detail but it was created by Adam Green um, and starred Adam himself he was in it along with Joe Lynch Laura Ortiz Corey English Dee Snyder and Dave Brocky of Guar Um, This is obviously back before Dave's uh, passing. The show also had a slew of cameos from names like Bill Mosley, Kane Hodder, Seth Green, Daniel Harris, and Tony Todd. So Josh was an editor for that series. And I was like, you know, I'm not sure how much I've talked about Holliston. I know I've talked about it a bit on the show, but I wasn't sure how full in depth. So I would mention that. The cinematography for this movie by Brian Sowell, who also worked on Beyond the Gates. Um, he worked on Sequence Break, which is another movie uh, Shutter exclusive, and Stay Out of the Fucking Attic. That is, as well, another uh, Shutter exclusive. He also worked with the band Anthrax on their video for Blood Eagle Wings, which was a single that came from their 2016 album For All Kings, so I thought I would mention that as well. Special effects for this film were done by Chris Bailey and Logan Long. Chris and Logan are kind of like polar opposites in that Chris has been in the special effects business going back as far as the days of, you know, 1996 when he had his special effects debut on a movie called Kazam with Shaq O'Neal. Yeah, that happened. Um, And he followed it up with Volcano from 1997, which I've mentioned on this show before. I do like that movie. Uh, he's also worked on big name flicks like Joyride, the, the first one with uh, Paul Walker. He worked on uh, The Sum of All Fears, Ocean's 12, Sky High, a couple of the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Um, Chris worked on The Conjuring and Pacific Rim, to name a few. Now, his, like I say, he had big body of work for him, 138 credits. Then you got Logan, who has a smaller resume with credits that only date back to 2016, and you're you're looking at about 7 to 10 projects in total. This honestly might be his biggest biggest credit so far. Um, He really, he's just starting out, so he's not going to have the resume that Chris has. Um, The music for the film, again, kind of like the mean one, sadly has not been released. There's no soundtrack for this movie yet, and I really wish there would be because this score is fucking awesome. Um, but the score, was, the score music was done by Steve Moore. He's done scores for some of other 
some of the other Joe Bagos films, films like The Mind's Eye, Bliss, and VFW. He also did the score for a little movie called Mayhem, which was the Joe Lynch hit film that starred Steven Yeun and Samara Weaving. Yeah, I remember that one. About the uh, the office, uh, the, it's the whole um, the infection that goes through the office, and everyone starts killing each other or fucking the hell out of each other. <laughs> so yeah, he uh, he did the score for that. And now our starring cast. It's a nice little cast. I took uh, what do I got here? About nine, ten names, maybe. I, I tried not to, you know throw them all in there but there's some that obviously are worth mentioning let's start with our starring protagonist and pretty much one of the main reasons to watch this movie riley dandy as tori tombs and if you paid attention to her resume you'd know that this movie is a huge switch from the other holiday movies she's been in. She's been in like rom-coms. Movies like A Kiss on Candy Cane Lane. Um, A California Christmas. And then I think it was either right before this was released or right after. HBO had A Hollywood Christmas. She was also in a romantic comedy on Netflix called That's Amore. I can't say I've seen it. But apparently she's known for rom-coms. She's known for dramas and then she does this movie (laughs) and it's like night and day um but well worth it i will say that moving on to sam delich as robbie reynolds he's the co-worker that works with tories trying to get newer pants kind of thing he was in a 2022 action film that was on netflix known as spiderhead it was a movie with chris hemsworth and miles teller couldn't help but laugh that both of them have been in Marvel movies. One guy's been in some successful ones. One, not so much. <laughs> Fantastic Four, we're looking at you. Um, yeah, so Sam Delich is Robbie in this film. Now here's one that a lot of you may know. Jonah Ray as Jay. Jonah Ray, and you're like, yeah, I know that name. He uh, he was in another 22, uh, 2022 film, uh, generated some buzz this year, straight to streaming, uh, the Roku channel, that is. Weird, the Al Yankovic story. You know the one with Dan Le- Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al? Yeah, he was in that. And that actually did generate quite a bit of buzz this year. Um, okay, and, and uh, Fuck it, I'm not going to bury the lead any longer. Obviously, Jonah is best known for Mystery Science Theater 3000 The Return. That's on Netflix right now, starring Felicia Day, Patton Oswalt, Patton Oswalt, sorry, and Joel Hodgson. And Jonah just might happen to be a part of that as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's where I think most people would know him from. But yeah, he was in the Al Yankovic story, and I was like, I still haven't seen it yet. That's something I need to get on as soon as I can. Dora Madison as Lana. And believe it or not, she's worked with Joe before. (laughs) No, I shouldn't say believe it or not. A lot of these people have worked with Joe several times. Um, She was the star, though, of Bliss. She played the role, she was in the role of Desi, um... 
She was the lead protagonist of that film. She was also in BFW playing the role of Gutter. And even before all of that, she was a regular for the series, uh, I think it was on NBC, uh, Friday Night Lights, the one that was based off the football movie. Um, She played the role of Becky Sprouls, so she was in that as well. We move on to Sheriff Monroe, who was played by Jeff Daniel Phillips. I talked about him not too long ago because he has worked a lot with Rob Zombie. Uh, We're talking Halloween 2, Lords of Salem, 31, 3 from Hell. And most recently, though, The Munsters. He was Herman Munster. Yes. Uh, He was also in a movie, uh, Satanic Panic, which is another film that was featured exclusively through Shudder. So I thought I would mention that as well. But, um, yeah, he's the sheriff in this. And actually, I really like his character in this movie. He, He He's not an annoying sheriff, let's put it that way. Not like okay, I didn't mention that earlier, but in the mean one, the sheriff in that movie is very annoying. Um I will say that was one of the detracting factors of that film. In this movie, Jeff Daniel Phillips actually plays a good sheriff. He's pretty he's pretty solid. Abraham Ben Ruby as Santa. He is the cyborg Santa in this huge body of work which includes another Joe Bagos film. He was in Bliss as well. Uh, But most people know Abraham as Dr. Jerry Markovic from the hit TV series ER. He was in 137 episodes of that show. And a little trivia tidbit for you. He also played Santa Claus in another movie. In 2013, he was in a movie called A Country Christmas. He played Santa in that. So this is not his first rodeo as a Santa Claus. It's just his first rodeo as a Santa Claus with an axe, pretty much. Uh, Two left. Two left, guys. Graham Skipper as Mike. This is Graham's second Christmas horror movie appearance, as he was also in the Christmas anthology All the Creatures Were Stirring, which was at one point a Shudder exclusive. I think now it's also on Tubi as well. But um, originally when it was released, it was a Shudder exclusive. Uh, he Graham has also been in films like Bliss, VFW, The Mind's Eye, Beyond the Gates. And actually in a couple days from now, from when you'll be getting this, he will be playing Dwight in the Shudder release of Scare Package 2, Rad Chad's Revenge. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing that. I did. I really enjoyed the first scare package, so I'm looking forward to the second one. Finally, Kansas Bowling as Liddy uh, also had roles in films like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and both Danzig movies, Veronica and Death Rider in the House of Vampires. There are some movies to add to your resume. I shouldn't knock Danzig. He tries. It's just those. I, I and I don't. I don't even know if I actually watched Death Rider yet. I know I saw Veronica and yeah, it was rough, man. Um, not as rough as that 2019 Black Christmas movie, though. I will say that. Um, anyways, for this movie, the runtime is an hour and 26 minutes long. It's not rated, but does have scenes of violence and gore, sexuality alcohol use, and extreme profanity. The budget is unknown, 
maybe it's out there. I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, the gross profits for the very limited theatrical release, though, were just under uh, um, 191000 And being this movie's low budget, I'm thinking they probably didn't spend any more than, I'd say, maybe 50000 on it. So maybe that's why it's a little, you know, just a little theatrical release just to generate some of that money back. And I'm pretty sure they did. The synopsis for this movie was straight off Shudder, and basically it goes like this. It's Christmas Eve, and Tori just wants to get drunk and party. But when a local toy store's robotic Santa Claus goes haywire and begins a rampant killing spree through her small town, she's forced into a battle for survival. And for this next segment, I'm calling this Come With Me If You Want to Celebrate Christmas. And you're like, huh? And the thing is, is so Joe Bagos, writer, producer, director, creator of this flick, came up with the idea for Christmas Bloody Christmas when he was actually trying to pitch a remake for the 1984 flick Silent Night, Deadly Night. He wanted to remake that. This was not the original thought. He thought it would be cool, though, if the murders could be acted out by, like, a Terminator-esque kind of cyborg. You know, developing the idea. In his mind, he's like, how cool would this be if we had Santa doing all the killings, but he's, like, indestructible? And it's like, okay. But the pitch, unfortunately, when he was pitching it to different, you know, studios and whatnot, it was completely rejected. They were like, that's way too far from the original flick. We don't want anything to do with this, blah, blah, blah. It sounds campy. It sounds corny, blah, whatever. So Joe said, well, I'm still going with my idea. And during the pandemic of 2020, he wrote his script and did it himself. He said, screw it. Nobody wants to do my idea. I'll do it myself. And that's why he ended up being writer, producer, director for the film. The choice to go with uh, actor Abraham Ben Ruby to portray the killer Santa. Um, The whole thing was Joe didn't want a stuntman performing the role. And on top of that, it was because if he brought in a stuntman, he, he wanted a guy who was taller but like not buff or whatever. And a lot of stuntmen are like, you know, they're, they're built pretty good and stuff. And he was like, "Ah, I don't like the idea of the physique. So that's why he went with this instead, like going with Abraham, which I'm not going to lie was good call. Um, the majority of the movie was filmed in, is it Placerville or Plakerville, California? I never know how to pronounce that word. I know I'm horrible. And you know, the thing is I could go on the internet and do this, like this word sounds like, and it would tell me, but I just never do. I'm too lazy. I admit it. I admit my laziness. Uh, uh, Plickerville, California was where it was filmed, which um, is in the Sierra Nevada mountains, just outside of Sacramento. If you know, California, Um, (laughs) uh, many the, the landmarks that you see in the movie, um, bell tower and there's the carry hotel carry hotel is actually where the staff stayed by the way um like the staff and the crew and all them they all stayed there but um they can be seen in the movie the stores that we actually see in this little town actually are there 
They are actual downtown stores, including the toy store, um, where all the mayhem starts, basically. And uh, what was it? The record? Okay, so Tori's shop is the record shop, right? Which is a cool-looking record store, by the way. I might I have to add that. But anyways, that is an, it, it's a an now empty building, but it's a historical landmark. Apparently, uh, John Pearson Soda Works was there before. I, had to, I actually had to look this up. And cool bit of trivia with that is that the house, like the, the, the building did actually house a music store a long time ago, like way back when, uh, before it became a cafe and whatnot. Um, unfortunately, since 2018, it's been shut down and closed. It's been empty since. But it was at one point a music store. Then it turned into the Soda Works Cafe and then is now empty but they used it for this movie as a music store so it sort of came around full circle kind of cool and josh josh yes josh Athier, at how i swear to god i gotta learn to 2023 i will learn to pronounce names that's what i'm gonna do josh Athier and joe bagos both have cameo cameos in this film as a matter of fact i think joe bagos is the neighbor um Bit of trivia for you. Someone apparently counted this out. There are 487 words of profanity in this movie. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of swearing in this movie, which brings the average to like 5.6 profane words per minute. And quite a bit of those words come from the mouth of our sweet, lovely girl, Riley. Yes, she swears a lot in this movie. Now, here's the funny thing about this movie. This is this is this was the part that got me. Okay, movie about a killer Santa Claus. We got some brutal mayhem. We got some axe killings. We got blood. We got gore. And this was the hill that people decided they wanted to die on. If you read comments on the internet, this is what people were offended by. This is the reason people gave this movie a bad rating. Because there was a lot of swearing. What? Scarface in 1983 used the F word alone. Just the F word. 207 times. And I don't know. Like, do we complain about that? Do we? I mean, I, maybe not in my circle of friends. Maybe that's why I never knew about it, but. I've never heard anyone complain about Al Pacino saying fuck 207 times. And you know he said a lot more than that because outtakes. <sighs> the swearing is what pissed people off about this movie. And much like movies like The Mean One, you do know what kind of movie this is, right? Right? Like, you get it? You saw the trailer? You know what you get? Like... We're talking about a B-movie with a Terminator-style killer Santa going after some drunk and high 20-somethings on Christmas Eve and also brutally killing anyone that it comes across at the same time, but the language is too much for you. Let's move to the quick fucking eight. Yes, this week's episode is very explicit, by the way, <laughs> if you hadn't figured that out. Quick eight, quick eight, the eight points I took from this movie. And no, I will say it now. I was not offended by the swearing. But number one, know what you are getting into and you can love this movie. It's a B movie. 
based on an original idea. I say original loosely, original idea of remaking Silent Night, Deadly Night, but with a cyborg twist. It's ridiculous. It's not meant to be taken seriously. It never was. Like I said about the mean one, if you go into this movie looking for something great, like it's a wonderful life, a Christmas carol or whatever fucking happy little holiday movie you're thinking of, you're doing it wrong. This movie is exactly what it sets out to be. And that's all it needs to be. I do not understand this world lately. I do not get it. I see comments and reviews online and I'm like, does everyone take things so damn seriously these days? This movie is meant to be fun. It's meant to be a joke. It's meant to just give you your chuckles and you move on. That's what it is. And if you know that and you walk into it with the right mindset, you can enjoy and love this movie for what it is. Point number two, the colors. God damn it. If Joe knows how to do anything consistently and wonderfully, it's his use of neon drenched colors. And in this film, also accompanied by the gorgeous glow of Christmas lights. Ah, this movie just pops off the screen. Glorious reds and greens, blues and violets and yellows, and it's just gorgeous. This is the kind of movie that makes Suspiria happy. Suspiria, sorry, happy. (laughs) Oh, it's just is such a gorgeous film. And it's a horror film taking place at Christmas, so it should be filled with color. And in most cases, you also need a dash of some white snow, you know, to have those colors reflect off of. And this movie does it magnificently. That's the way, that's what it should be. I saw some people saying it was oversaturated. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's a Christmas movie. It should be colorful. Matter of fact, I'm finding nowadays some of these horror films that have more color to them are actually better than the bland, washed-out films. I'm not saying there's not a place for those, because there is, and some of them are great. But give me some color in my Christmas horror films, and that's what Joe does that amazingly in this movie. Number three. Ah, yes, lots of brutal killings. This is what Violent Night should have been, especially if you're calling your movie Violent Night. But let's stay with this movie. I don't want to always kick that one. This movie does not waste time getting into the action. We have practical effects, which is always a win. Even one dud hokily like a movie like, you know, Jack Frost. Who cares? This movie's still so much fun because the killings are just, it's practical. They're liquids flying around and just oozy, bloody gore. Yes, the axe killings are brutal, sometimes quick. But there is one kill when it's the neighbor. And like I said, I believe that's Joe's character is the one neighbor. He gets an axe in the back. And he's at one point you see him trying to crawl up the stairs and whatnot. And then you see the Santa Claus pull the axe out of his back. And the blood is just pooling out of his back. And it 
so great. And it's quick. I mean, they don't focus on things for very long, probably to disguise the low budget look of it all, but that's okay. It's a great scene. There's a few good axe to the head shots as well in this one. And yes, a lot of blood. Tori gets her fair share of blood splashed all upon her herself and whatnot, which at times gave me sort of an Ash vibe, you know, from Evil Dead movies and whatnot. I mean, this, I don't think this movie is as, as excessive as those movies were. And in both cases, both Christmas Bloody Christmas and Evil Dead, I am not complaining at all about that. I mean, give me more blood. But um, I think Evil Dead had more blood than this, but this movie still, it's up there. Point number four is one that I'm sort of, it's like a seesaw thing. The dialogue. But not in the way you might think, because no, I am not offended by the swearing. Matter of fact, here's the funny thing about this fucking movie. I didn't even know it was a thing that people were offended by the swearing until after I saw the movie. And then when I was reading the reviews, I was like, there was a lot of swearing? Because I didn't even notice. I mean, I think that's also because I approach the characters the way they're supposed to be. Especially Tori and Robbie are supposed to be drunk. They've been hitting the sauce for a while and, you know, and Tori's trying to get her freak on and Robbie's trying to be that guy that gets the freak on with her and stuff. But they're drunk. They're obnoxious. So I think and that's sort of the thing, too, like especially when people are inabbreviated, they tend to swear a little bit more. They're sort of loose with their words. So I guess I took it that. Okay, they're swearing, but oh well. Like like I said, I didn't even notice it, to be honest. Maybe it's because I'm a foul-mouthed jerk-off myself. I don't know. But my problem with the dialogue, especially in the opening 20 minutes of this film, and it's something that I myself had to learn not to do with podcasting, is talking too quickly. I both like and hate the dialogue in this film, especially in the opening 20 minutes, because the dialogue is very natural and almost clerks-like in its pop culture referencing nature. But everybody is speed-talking so much, it's almost like, okay, we're trying to keep the runtime to this movie like really short. We have a lot to say, so speak really fast. Make sure you get all your lines in. I guess it's not a horrible thing. I mean, they were try- it doesn't ruin the movie. They were trying to make things look, look, look natural and flowing and stuff. But I'm watching, especially in the first 20 minutes, and I kept thinking to myself, guys, it's okay to take a breath. (laughs) Like, breathe. Slow down. Some of the things you're saying might stick a little bit better if you let the audience digest it. And that was something, I'll be honest, podcasting, I had to learn that myself. When I first started podcasting, I talked really fast, and it was something that I myself had to learn to slow down, be chill. This movie could have learned something from that. But other than that, I mean, like I said, as for the swearing thing, I didn't even notice. What's that say about me? Point number five. This point, this this point, this point actually highlights something that I love about this movie, because this movie takes a shot at the Blumhouse travesty that is that 2019 Black Christmas remake. And for that, it gets a bonus point. 
point scored. That's all. I honestly, there's a lot of pop culture references in this movie, and a lot of talk about different music albums and movies and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's showing that Tori and Robbie are both pop culture freaks and whatnot. But <laughs> when she makes her dig about the Blumhouse Black Christmas remake, I was like, okay, you just scored a point. That's all I needed to say about that. Point number six, the score for this film rocks. Oh, yeah, Steve Moore did a kick-ass job of making an ass-kicking metal score that goes awesome with the mayhem we witness on the screen. It's loud. It's fast. just makes the tension and the chaos of the movie work that much better. And this is one score that does wonders in complementing what is happening with the visual exhibition on screen. Like, it's just, it's awesome. I'm like... You had, and Santa Slay did that too. I, if I remember correctly, there's some like hints of like really fast music and stuff like that. And I like this one goes full on like fucking heavy metal. And I was like, rock on, double horns and all. Like, it, fuck, it was awesome. But yeah, uh, Steve Moore did an amazing job. And this is one like I'm really hoping. It is released. Uh, vinyl, digitally, I don't care how. I need to have this score because it fucking rocked. Last two points, guys. Point number seven, Riley Dandy. As it goes for final girls in movies in 2022, Riley is definitely a winner for this film. Now, I will say, in my opinion, overall for the year, Lauren Lavera takes the year winner. But Riley is no slouch. And so here's another... (laughs) Again, some of the complaints to this movie really had me scratching my head because I saw complaints on the interwebs that people were offended by her intentions for Christmas Eve, that it was the night she wanted to hook up with a guy on Tinder and get laid. Oh. So, what you're saying is, all those movies where guys wanted to get laid, that was alright, that didn't offend you much. But when a woman wants to get her rocks off with no attachments, you're offended? What? So what? So she wanted to get drunk and fuck. Really? Damn, maybe this this movie might be the movie that offended you, but you needed to be offended. Because your thought processes need to be challenged a little. I could not believe I was reading this online. That that's I, another hill people wanted to die on. They did not like Tori's character because women wouldn't do that. The fuck? What world are you people living in? The character of Tori is exactly what this movie needed. Not a huge amount of backstory. Just enough to understand her motives, actions, and thoughts for the one night. Which... It's quite simple. She wants to get drunk. She wants to get laid. She wants to move on after Christmas. She just wants to get through the fucking night. That's all she wanted to do. She knows she's going home to a lonely house. She doesn't want to do that. She's not into watching Christmas movies, which, hey, that's her choice. So she decides, I'm going to... I've blown this guy off a couple times on Tinder. I guess I won't tonight. To which, of course, Robbie gets jealous and wants... You know, he, he, he's playing off that pretty good. A little too much, but, I mean, it's there. 
But I mean, the the whole hitch to the movie is is then this Santamatronic seven thousand T eight five four three two one whatever it was called. I think it's actually called the Robo Santa Plus. But you know, a few more viewings and I'll have the specifics down. Don't worry about it. But I mean, that thing decides it wants to fuck her night up, and she has to go from chill to kill on Christmas Eve. That that's what happens in this movie. People were offended by her character because she swore a lot and she wanted to get laid. Wow. Okay. Stay inside more often, will you? Because you know what? There's nothing wrong with a woman wanting to live her life that way. I know. She's a slut. Okay, whatever. No, this is a woman who is established. She's got her own record store. She's, she is her boss. You know, she's the boss. They may even make point of that when Robbie's like hitting on her and she's like, well, you know, I'm kind of your boss. I pay your paycheck kind of thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Riley sells this movie. She sells the performance and she's solid in it, which is like it's been noted quite a stark difference from her rom-com Christmas roles. But I'm glad this one exists. This is a great role. I really enjoyed her character. I was like, I don't see where the problem is. But apparently there was a problem. Point number eight in 2022, the Christmas season. I was almost, I, I was thinking festive and season and it almost came out seasons. Don't ask my brain, the things that the hamster does not know which way he's going. Let's put it that way. Um, this Christmas season gave us, you know, three main hitters, basically. Those were the three we were supposed to look forward to. And there was Z listers as well. And I mean, Nutcracker Massacre, I'm looking at you, you know that, but of the three big ones, and that's the mean one, Violent Night, and this, Christmas Bloody Christmas. This one's the tops of the three, in my opinion. And I will definitely be adding it to the list of movies that I watch year after year, right up there with A Christmas Carol from 1951, to Christmas Evil, to A Christmas Horror Story, to Santa Slay, and of course... 1974 is Black Christmas. That is my traditional every year, Christmas Eve, I watch Black Christmas. Don't know when I'm fitting it in this year because Christmas Eve is also football Saturday and I want to watch all the games. So I don't know. It may be a Christmas Day tradition this year, but I always watch Black Christmas, the original. And then there's all the other fun ones that I watch like Deadly Games, All Through the House, Better Watch Out, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Die Hard, Empire Strikes Back. You're like, that's not a Christmas movie. The fuck it isn't. Of course it is. Movie with snow and a little elf and family bonding. Fuck you. Empire Strikes Back is a Christmas movie. There's Gremlins. And the He-Man She-Ra Christmas special. Ha ha ha. Yes. That one's a bad one. Oh, fuck. Is it bad? That's what makes me laugh, too, is when you think about it. He-Man She-Ra Christmas special is a thing that exists in this world. And people will rip on, like, a movie like this. And it's like, but this knew what it was. I mean, Christmas Bloody Christmas is a tradition-making flick. This is one that I, and I saw, I saw many people saying the same thing. That they will watch this movie every year from this point on. It's like, yes, yes, join the happy club. Um, but let's talk about the reception and rating of this movie. This is that portion of the show. IMDb 
has this currently sitting at a 5.2 out of 10, with 6, 5, and 7 being the three top rankings. On Rotten Fuckmatoes, believe it or not, it's actually holding a nice approval rating of 73%. Okay! Bravo! Rotten Tomatoes, for once. I'm kind of on par with you there. On Shudder... Because that's where this movie originated, right? So it's like, okay, let's get the shutter rating. Three out of five skulls, which you figure is about 60%. Okay. Most of the reviews on the site actually praise the film. That's that's cool. When you're reading the the you know the audience comments and whatnot, there's quite a bit of praise for it. The thing with Shudder to remember is it does have a bit of a following. Like I I, I Trolls, I guess. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't get it to be honest. But they tend to complain about every movie that's on Shutter, which begs the question: Why do you even subscribe if you hate everything in their catalog? But yeah, there is those few. So you you'll read these reviews, and I mean, there's people that are you know genuine. If they're giving it three out of five stars, they have a genuine reason why. But then you'll see the one out of five stars and it's like, this movie sucks because she swears too much. Then you, you, come on, man. (laughs) Really? Um, And there's other stupid comments. The latest Joe Bob special that just happened, the Ghoul Tide get together where they did, um, oh, what were the movies this time around? Uh, Don't Open Till Christmas. Great flick. And A Christmas Horror Story. And people complained about the movies. And it's like, yes. And the year before that, they showed two non-Christmas horror films and people complained about that. So we can't fucking win. Um, but yeah, Shudder has that contingency. It's a small handful of people that feel the need to complain about everything. I also thought I would mention that RogerEbert.com. It's a website. Roger Ebert isn't with us anymore, but his website exists on. They gave the movie one out of four stars. That is pretty much a mainstream idea right there. That's what the mainstream took from this movie. Podcast zero rating. Well, it goes like this, kids. Now, this is how you make a movie about a killer Santa Claus. Honestly, this is how you do it. It's like the Terminator meets Silent Night, Deadly Night in all its neon-drenched Christmas lights glory. I loved it. 100% practical effects with characters who were natural and not that annoying for the most part. There's a few, but I mean, honestly, no. This was this is what I wanted. It's a quick-paced movie. It's only 87 minutes. doesn't even hit the 90-minute mark. It's fun, tension-filled, aware of exactly the kind of movie it's supposed Supposed to be Joe Bagos, another hit on his hands. Bravo. Loved the iconic references to music albums. Although, Tori does make some comment about Soundgarden that once Chris Cornell cut his hair, the band sucked. Fuck you. No, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> horror movies, there's a lot of references to those. I thought that was cool. There was some references to some mainstream Christmas movies. Okay. The nice shot at the Blumhouse Black Christmas, which is another piece of shit. So it deserved it. Yes. I gave it a bonus point for that. I was hoping to be entertained with this one. And definitely was not disappointed. And it did not waste any time getting to the mayhem. When they said it was a bloody Christmas, it was a bloody Christmas. 
This instantly became a new Christmas tradition for me. It's Christmas, bloody Christmas for the win. And it's actually on par with BFW. BFW is one that I, I, if I remember correctly, I gave that one an 8 out of 10. Well, this one is 8 bloody axes out of 10. It's definitely up there. Oh, such a great flick. And that's that. It's that simple, kids. Don't go into movies expecting Star Trek The Wrath of Khan when you know you're going to get... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, the Barbie movie. I don't know. I, 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 I don't understand how people, how people approach movies these days. I don't get it. But, I mean, that, that's... Everyone has an opinion, right? And I know you guys probably listen to my show and you think, well, your opinion sucks too. It probably does. But... That's it, kids. That's it for me. On that note, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Diwali, whatever whatever you celebrate. Merry Krumpishnacht, and thank you for listening. I mean, I know there's a ton of holidays in December, and I always hate that, you know, Christmas always takes the front row, and it's like, mm-mm. there's a lot of different people that celebrate a lot of different things. If you're into sports, maybe, you know, maybe you celebrate the junior hockey, you know, tournament that takes place. Hey, Argentina just won the World Cup. Now, it didn't mean anything to me, but for a lot of people, it did. So maybe you celebrate that. Happy World Cup. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. We all celebrate different things. It's it's that time of the year, man. Stop being shitty to people all the time and just accept people are different. Let them do, let them do them. You do you, you know? I mean, fuck. I'm saying this as I'm criticizing people online for their criticisms of this movie. But, I mean, keep in mind, I do that lightheartedly. I'm not going to sit here and judge someone based on their opinion of a schlocky (laughs) B-movie Joe Bagos, you know, gifted me this year. I didn't, he didn't gift it to just me, but, you know, to us. Those of us who like these movies. And I mean, that, that's, that's the message this year, right? Like, you guys have been following the show long enough to know, like, it's an opinion. It's not meant to hurt anyone. These are movies. They're entertaining Maybe you don't think so. Maybe you do. Just enjoy. Enjoy what you enjoy. As long as you're not watching those movies that you shouldn't be watching. Because you and you should be locked up. If you're not watching that stuff, then enjoy what you're watching. You know? We we have next year a very bittersweet thing to look forward to. It's a, it's a game I will play now simply because it's the final. And that's the new Suicide Squad game coming out next year from Rocksteady because it's the final Batman-voiced performance of Kevin Conroy. We lost him this year. I didn't even mention that on the show. You know, like... It's... It's weird to think of a, a world without Kevin Conroy because that's 
Whenever people talk Batman, you always think Kevin Conroy, you know? And it was something that a lot of people agreed on. He was the best Batman there ever was. But we loved him. There was nothing wrong with loving something. I find that nowadays it's like... it. it, 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 almost, it I always joke, you know, the Offspring years ago wrote a song called Cool to Hate. And I always joke and say, well, they weren't wrong. Because it seems like that's the cool thing to do is to shit on something else. It's okay to love. I know, coming from a guy who talks shit about movies all the time. But yeah, deep down in my core, I love stuff. I love you guys. I love doing this show. I love the genre of horror and the genre of science fiction and I love cyberpunk and vinyl records and well physical media in general but <laughs> it's nothing there's nothing wrong with loving something and I said it even last episode when I talked about Violent Night and I said well it didn't work for me I know a lot of people that have seen it and love it I'm not going to knock them for it. I don't think less of them because they love something that I don't. That's that's what I want to end this show on. A little bit of love. And you're like, wow, he went sappy. Yeah, I did. And on that note, yeah, let's end this shit, right? Okay, because I know somebody, he's waiting. He, he cannot wait to tell me to shut up, which is what some people told this movie to do, and whatever. It is what it is. Um, you know where to find the show, obviously, on the different streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple, Google, CastBox, um, Podbean, a whole bunch of them. They're all out there. Wherever you're listening to podcasts, you find the show on social media, still alive <laughs> Elon didn't kill me he didn't take away my Twitter account um, yeah I know I sometimes wish he would um, which that's a thing I don't get it everybody's so up in arms about what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter I still have yet to see an actual thing that changed on it but I don't know maybe he'll block me from being able to share my podcast Ooh, whoa! don't scare me um, facebook.com what Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. It's there. It's on Instagram at What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And on Twitter at WLB Podcast Zero. You, you, know, you know how it goes. There's the email account. Email me. Tell me to have a shitty fucking Christmas. I don't care. But, you know, What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero at gmail.com. To everyone I've interacted with this year, to everyone that has interacted with the show, to everyone who has shared the show has linked it has talked to me in some way or another thank you and may you have a great holiday season i will be back in 2023 not sure when yet <laughs> depends when i decide i don't hate hearing my voice so much but <laughs> um no it'll be early 2023 maybe the first or second week of january i should be back i have no clue what i'm doing for an episode yet so I can't even say, well, here's what you have to look forward to. All, what I'll tell you that you have to look forward to? <laughs> My voice. Yeehaw! Um, anyways, that's that. Go ahead, Al. Say it. Wish them a Merry Christmas while you're at it. You need to shut the fuck up! You're not really Santa. If you were Santa, you could do magic. 
You want to see some magic? Here, let's watch you disappear. 